You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. One thousand years prior to those shepherds hearing that angelic host on the mountains of Bethlehem, there was another shepherd that was on the hills of Bethlehem who also received a visitant telling him to go off the hills and run into Bethlehem. Except it was not angels that visited him, it was a servant of his father's telling David that the famous prophet Samuel was in his home and was waiting to see David. And so like the other shepherds in the time of Christ, ran off to see this thing of which they'd been told David ran off to see this thing of which he had been told. Let's read about that story in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. And we'll begin with verse 1. And if you're able to stand with me, please stand and hear God's word. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. And Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the the town trembled. When they met him, they asked, Do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance. Or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. And so he sent and had him brought in. He was ready with a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him, for he is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. 
And Samuel went to Ramah. May God bless his word to us. You may be seated. He was nothing more than a shepherd boy from the hills of Bethlehem. And yet God found something in the heart of David that God was seeking for in a king of Israel. You see, for God to find a man or a woman after his own heart, he has to look into our hearts. For him to find a man or a woman after his own heart, he has to look past the things the eyes see and look at the things that only hearts can see. In fact, the scriptures teach this, that in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says this, for the eyes of the Lord range, scan throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. The King James, the New King James Version says, to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. The English Standard Version says, to give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless before him. Spiritually speaking, what are these scriptures saying? They're saying that the eyes of the Lord, God's gaze, is roaming throughout the whole earth. And He's looking at just one thing. He's looking at hearts. It's like the, the, the spiritual giant EKG unit is going all across the earth and He's zoning in on hearts. And He's looking at the condition of hearts on earth. And in fact, he's looking for three conditions, I think. Now, right, right away when I say that, you might think, well, that disqualifies me. I know my heart. My heart's not very clean. My heart's not very pure. There's all kinds of duplicity that enters my heart. I can't even share with some people the things that go into my heart. Well, just, just hold on before you disqualify yourself in the waiting room of God's EKG unit. What was it that was different about David compared to Saul? It says in the scriptures in 1 Samuel 13 that, that Saul's kingdom would not endure and that God was looking for someone who was after his own heart. And that someone came to be David, as we see in chapter 16. In fact, it's not just the Old Testament that calls David a man after God's own heart. Even Paul, in preaching in Acts 13, says in verse 22 that David is a man after God's own heart. And this is the man that you and I will be studying in the months to come, who, if you'll pardon the pun, royally messed up. On various occasions. This is the man that is after God's own heart. So if we're going to understand what God means by that, we're going to have to go deeper to understand some of the heart conditions. And if you'll see in your insert in your bulletin, there are three heart conditions that God reveals through David that he's looking for in those that he would pursue. <clears throat> and so we're beginning, let's take a look at God choosing is based on a heart of integrity, not mere appearances. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, we see that God is, is ready for Samuel, the prophet, to get on with the business. 
He says, how long are you going to mourn after Saul? I have rejected him as king and I have chosen someone. So get up and go. And uh, you can see that um, he's chosen one of the sons of Jesse. The literal rendering of verse 1 is, I have seen among his sons for myself a king. That's the literal rendering of the Hebrew. I have seen. Here it is again, 2 Chronicles 16, 9. The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the whole earth to see whose hearts are blameless before him. I have seen on a little boy outside of Bethlehem, tending sheep all by himself. I have seen in that man, in that boy, a heart that I am seeking. From Samuel's response in verse 2, we can see that the relationship with Saul and Samuel has changed significantly since we last read about it. He is now afraid for his life in the presence of Saul. And so he goes because, you see, he has to pass through Saul of Gibeah of Saul from Ramah to get to Bethlehem. And so he's going right through town and he's thinking, I'm going to get killed. And so God says, well, you go and you offer a sacrifice and they'll understand why you're there. He invites the family of Jesse and his sons And as they get ready for the evening sacrifice, in walks Jesse and behind him seven of his eight sons. Eliab, the oldest, begins the walk behind him. He walks right by Samuel. And Samuel's first thought is, surely the anointed of the Lord stands before me. And in the middle of that thought, God whispers in Samuel's ear, the banner that we have at the front here. Do not consider his outward appearance. For man looks at the outward appearance, but but God looks at the heart. And so you know the story how every one of those sons walks by and God says, no, I haven't chosen those. And finally, he says, do you have any more sons? And he says, well, there's the youngest, literally the smallest. He's out tending the sheep. And Jesse is told by Samuel, we are not going to start until he's here. What a mistake Jesse made as a father. What a mistake. He had judged his sons by external appearance instead of the integrity of their hearts. He had judged each of his sons according to their outward appearance. Do we not make this same mistake as parents sometimes? We discipline, we reward, we rebuke, we correct, we train our children based on outward appearance, external behavior, instead of the integrity of their hearts. When our children were younger, Pat and I bought a book and read it. It was by Ted Tripp. It's called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And the book taught us and clarified many parental issues for us, which essentially boiled down to one primary principle. And it concentrates on the fact that parenting is all about understanding the intent of the heart, not the content of the behavior. That's the essence of the book. You don't have to buy it. (laughs) It's all about the intent of the heart, not the content of the behavior. 
We need to raise up a generation of children who are going to internalize the message of the gospel to know that their hearts are never morally neutral before God. Friends, there are much seven billion people on the face of this earth. There is not one heart beating on this earth today that is morally neutral before God. That heart is either in submission to God as Lord or it is in rebellion. They must see that discipline and correction that comes their way from their parents is not out of the inconvenience of parents. It is not out of the pleasure for parents. It is not about a parent's displeasure about their behavior. It is about God's displeasure about their heart. Jesse presented his sons to Samuel by their age and their stature, not giving thought to what God might be thinking of, And yet to be a good parent, we must communicate to our children that what matters most before God has to do with the heart. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4, God is speaking to David's son Solomon. And here's what he says. As for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness, as David your father did... And you do all that I command and observe my decrees and laws. I will establish your royal throne. Now who was Solomon's mom? Bathsheba. Where did she come from? She came from being another man's wife. Whom David had committed adultery with. And committed murder to cover up his sin. And this is the man that's after God's own heart. That's why I said earlier, you shouldn't be so quick to disqualify yourself. In Psalm 78, verse 70, we read this. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded his people with integrity of heart, it says, and skillful hands. You see, God's choosing is not based on external appearances. It's based on integrity of heart. Not hypocrisy, not duplicity, not pretending. The the Hebrew word for integrity that's used in these passages is the word thamam. It is translated sometimes integrity, completeness, wholeness, innocence, simplicity, wholesome, sound, unimpaired. That's the word integrity. Integrity is what you are when no one else is looking except God alone. That's integrity. Day after day, God watched David shepherding a few miserable sheep on the obscure hills of Bethlehem, and he saw a heart that he liked. It was after his own heart. And you want to say, Where, how do I grow? How do I grow in integrity? Well, if integrity is what you are when no one else is looking, why don't you bring what you are when no one else is looking out of the privacy of your closet and share it with someone? You want to grow in integrity? Then start living more of a transparent, 
non-duplicit life. God will grow you in integrity, believe me. He'll grow you up if you start living that way. Secondly, God's choosing is based on a heart of humility, not human recognition. Part of the story not written in the scripture reveals the humility of David. There's nothing in chapter 16 or anywhere else that I see that suggests that David is offended by not getting a prior invitation to the incredible feast going on in his father's home where his seven brothers were. And the prophet Samuel is. There's nothing in the scripture that makes us think that David is appalled, offended. Nothing at all. In fact, in verse 12, this description of David is a teenager. A little bit of a peach fuzz for a beard. Not like his older brothers that have the full thing going on. Hair, a reddish blonde color from all the time in the sun out in the hills. The word cute looking might maybe apply better. Cute looking but not handsome like his older brothers. Man, like Eliab. And we can imagine David walking in. He's just come from the hills. He's smelling like sheep. He's perhaps very self-conscious. He knows that everybody's been waiting for him. He walks in and the scowls of his brothers are standing there first. And then out of the blue, this little old man with a little horn of oil, comes over to him and pours it on his head and says, I anoint you as king over Israel. I Messiah you. I Messiah you as king over Israel. What an incredible moment. And if there was anything else important about that day, the scriptures don't tell us. All the scriptures say in conclusion... Verse 13, the spirit of the Lord fell upon David and Samuel went home. And now in the aftermath of that, we don't see anything of David strutting his stuff. We don't see David saying, well, (laughs) I'm not going back to those hills of the sheep. Uh, Eliab, you, you go. He doesn't do that. In fact, the next time we hear about David is verse 19. Look at verse 19. Saul sends for David to come because he's going to be this harp, harp uh, playing, soothing man in his presence. And where is, where is David? He's tending the sheep still. Nothing's changed. Connected to the integrity of heart that God saw in David was the humility of heart that, do, that did not require any human recognition. Even after he is anointed king in the presence of his brothers, there's no mention of his strutting, his royal stuff, demanding another brother go watch the sheep. He returns to his post and he obeys his father. Kind of a Cinderella story going on here, isn't there? And in chapter 17, if you'll take a look at, peek at what we're going to look at next week, This famous Goliath passage. Israel's fighting the Philistines. Where is David? Chapter 17, verse 15. Tending the sheep back in Bethlehem. You see, if if integrity is what you are when no one is looking but God, then humility is how you are when no one gives you recognition but God. There are no comparisons going on here. 
I do what I do because I'm called to do it by God. I take no notice of what you do, why you do it, or don't do it in relationship to me. I have my calling, you have your calling. And, and we answer to an audience of one, it's the Lord God. And if you recognize me, great. If you don't, that's fine. Because humility does that to you. It was interesting. This morning, I, I was just getting ready to come to the first service. And I was asking the Lord for an illustration to, 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 to flesh out some of this. And immediately, something came to my mind that I have not thought of for years. It was probably one of my first summer jobs. I was probably about 14 years old. And, and uh, my mom had told me about this advertisement in the paper. Everybody, Hanover, Ontario, go to uh, the mall and wait there and you'll, go, you'll be picked up and the farmer will take you out to his strawberry farm and you'll pick strawberries all day long. So there I am. I'm waiting for all these, these teenagers and he takes us out. I think we're all in the back of a pickup truck, if I, as I remember, in a couple of pickup trucks. And we get there and the farmer is there and... There's, I'm looking around and he says to the group of us teenagers, he says, I need one of you to drive the tractor and pull the wagon and just go up and down the rows collecting all the strawberries. Everybody else is going to be doing strawberry picking. And I'm looking around the crowd and I'm thinking to myself, there's only two of us that could drive that tractor. It's that guy and me. And I think if I remember correctly, his name was Ronnie. So we'll call him Ronnie. Well, guess what the farmer chose? Chose Ronnie. And I went out to those strawberry fields and I was, I was envious. And I I can think back now and I know God was doing some heart surgery on me. I wanted that man, that boy's job. I, I, I would judge him. He would come by in his tractor with his wagon and I'd have to put my strawberries on there Do you know what happened? Talk about God teaching a lesson. From Hanover going out the highway toward Newstead in Ontario, Ronnie drove his bicycle every morning. We got to the farm one day and Ronnie was nowhere to be found and the farmer pointed at me and said, Terry, you're on the tractor today. And I found out later that Ronnie had been hit by a a car and killed. And honestly, I don't know what was more humbling for me to be driving that tractor after having an envious heart or to be picking the strawberries. God's choosing is based on humility of heart. Boy, does He have to do some work on our hearts, eh? Thirdly, a third condition of heart that God is looking for is a heart of service, not a pride of position. If integrity is what you are when no one is looking but God, and humility is how you are when no one gives you recognition but God, then when you put those two things together, integrity and humility, you come up with a recipe for a true servant of God. A servant is content with no one looking or giving recognition, but God alone. 
It's interesting that David in the scriptures is called a servant as much or more than he's called a king. In Ezekiel chapter 34, for example, verse 23, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd and I will be their Lord and God and my servant David will be prince among them for I, the Lord, have spoken. Where did David get started on having a servant's heart? It started with his father on the hills of Bethlehem going out all by himself to tend the sheep. And then at a certain time in his teenage years, God took him to the next step. And the next step was in Saul, the king's court. How did that happen? Wow. In verse 14, we read that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Now, before we rush on to take a look at where David is getting his second a service assignment, I want you to just pause for a moment with me and think about, does God send evil spirits? That might throw you off a little bit. Where is this coming from? Well, first of all, we need to understand that scripturally speaking, before the day of Pentecost, before Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the church and from that moment forward decided that God the Spirit would fill every Christ-following believer and be actually a temple of the Holy Spirit. Before Acts 2, there's only two people in all of Scripture where the Spirit of God falls on them and stays on them permanently. One of them is David, and the second one is John the Baptist. See, normally in the Old Testament, we read it over and over again. It says the Spirit of God came upon Samson or Somebody else. And, and they did something and, and then the Spirit of God left because the task was done. And then sometimes it says that the Spirit of God left because they grieved the Holy Spirit. Saul, for example, the Spirit of God came upon Saul. He prophesied with all the prophets. Or he led Israel into battle. But then because Saul's heart was hard and not obedient to God, it says in the Scriptures here that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And in its place, God sent in the NIV, it says uh, an evil spirit. Some translations say a harmful spirit. Kylan Dalish, the Old Testament commentators, say that the, this evil spirit from God which came to Saul in the place of the Holy Spirit was not merely an inward feeling of depression from being rejected as king, but a power which deprived him of his peace of mind, sometimes drove him to madness. God had sent it to punish him. This condition that Saul finds his own heart in must be a condition that he brought on himself. And so we must see that this harmful spirit sent by God was to shake him from his rebellion. To shake him from his, his rebellion against God and his independence. Maybe it's hard for us to see it that way. But it's, it's hard for us. But indeed, this harmful spirit that God sent upon Saul could be a severe mercy that's designed to bring Saul to repentance. The Hebrew word for the spirit coming upon, to fall upon, to startle, to overwhelm is used. And, and it was somehow to shake Saul from his independent rebellion. Well, in the providence of God, we read that 
Saul's attendants are recommending to him some music therapy. Nothing to calm the troubled soul like some nice classical music. And uh, in the providence of God, one of them knows Jesse, and, and one of his sons plays the harp really well. His name is David. Had lots of time practicing out with the sheep. And, and again, in the providence of God, uh, Saul says, yeah, I, I like that idea. He sends for David. And look at it in verse 18. It says that David was a brave man, a warrior, a good-looking man, and he speaks well, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. Can I take a break for a moment here? All you young women... Okay, listening up. You thought it wasn't possible. You thought that it wasn't possible for someone to be brave, good looking, speaks well, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. He has the whole package and the Spirit of the Lord is... Look for it. God's got someone for you. And you can turn that around. Is that reading into the text maybe a little bit? I don't know. Maybe erase that part. I think it's interesting. Verse 19, David is summoned into Saul's service. Verse 22, the request goes back to Jesse. I want David to stay with me. He becomes an armor bearer for Saul. Verse 23, it says, Whenever the Spirit from God came upon Saul, David would take his harp and play, and relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. How interesting. How interesting that the man of Saul's choosing for his own emotional need was the man of God's choosing as he prepared David to be king. How ironical that Saul called, commissioned, and was fond of the very man that would replace him as king. And it was because God saw in David a heart of integrity, a heart of humility, and a heart of service. Now you might be sitting here this morning at a station in life that you're bored with. You might be sitting here this morning at a station in life that you're not happy with. You're feeling unnoticed. You're feeling you're in obscurity. You're feeling that you're wasting your life like watching sheep on hillsides that don't ever matter to anybody. I want you to see in David's life. I want you to learn from the scriptures this morning. Be encouraged by this, that God is never not at work. God is preparing you for the next step. And the next step might be just around the corner. You might get a call from the hills of Bethlehem into the very king's court. And you're just not realizing it's in God's timing that it's going to take place. What he is doing now is absolutely essential for that next step that God's getting you ready for. And it's all about your heart. It's all about a heart of integrity and humility and service. As we come to the table of the Lord in a moment, we're going to be reminded of the son of David. In Isaiah chapter 11, many years after David lived, the prophet announces and prophesies of Jesus a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch that would bear fruit. In Micah chapter 5 verse 2, the one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from of old. So many prophecies about Jesus. Jesus, this incredible man of God who was a man of God after God's own heart like no one, not even David, could be. Friends, do you understand? James Fowler says it this way. Do you understand 
that when we see Jesus, we see man as God intended man to be. It's incredible. It, we, it escapes us. When we see Jesus, we see the absolute invisible qualities and glory and excellence of God in a man as God intended man to be. If there is a definition of biblical masculinity, it is in Jesus alone, perfectly. But it is somehow reflected in the text that we've looked at today as we've studied David. Because biblical masculinity has to do with a heart of integrity, a heart of humility, and a heart of service. Would you pray with me? Father God, now as we turn our attention to your table, and as each one of us are invited to come around the table and to partake of the emblems to remind us of your death, Lord Jesus, we consider this table an appointment with you. We consider this table a spiritual EKG. Where you, O oh God, right now have an opportunity to do some heart searching upon us. Lord, may you find in us hearts full of integrity and humility. May you find in us servant hearts that dignify the smallest duty. That dignify the, the most obscure place in life. Because it's where we're called by God in the will of God to, to live our lives for this time. Oh Lord, would you do that which is needing to be done in our hearts. For we give you, oh God, we give you absolute sway over us. In Jesus' name, amen.